With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. Uh, I'm Brian Murphy, and with me is... I'm Doug Brizzoni. We're going to get the intro smoothed out one of these days, but one thing that was really smooth <laughs> this week, Doug, was that the Giants... The Giants actually won four... They won more games than they lost this week. Uh, it is... It's it's Monday, May 2nd, and we are looking back at the week that was. The Giants went 4-2. and two. They did. They, they had a good week. This is really hurting your 57-win prediction. They're going to have to make up for these wins later. Also, the two losses they had, though felt like they hadn't won any games during the week. The The two losses were so bad that that it was hard to kind of think that they had done anything great. I mean, they had beaten the Padres. That was, that was what they had done, rolling into New York to face the Mets, who uh, were on a six-game winning streak and were beating everybody. And they they took out the Wampin Sticks on Friday, and they, they beat the holy hell out of the Giants 12-1, uh, to 1, and it wasn't even that close. Um, and well, yes, first off, it wasn't that close because it was 13 to one, 13 to one, but it wasn't even that close. They beat them by 12. (laughs) Wasn't even Um, close. Yeah. And then Matt Cain pitched like, uh, 2016 Matt Cain and the giants lost again. And that was not fun. Yeah. So I, if we go back and we look at these, the Padres games, they swept the Padres, uh, and we weren't on last week. Um, but we were basically talking about how, oh, not beating the, the Diamondbacks, that's that's troublesome. Um, but they were able to get close out the homestand, a 10-game homestand, and split it 5-5. Five and five. Again, though, the losses were kind of so bad, it makes it hard to believe that they even won that many games. But, you know, the Giants of late, they have actually won <laughs> six of their last 10 games. So there, there was that. <laughs> Uh, so things are looking up, uh, and they're back to 500 as we start today. Um, the main thing from those, uh, let's focus on the losses, um, for a moment, start with that, uh, as depressing as that is, but Jake Peavy, uh, sort of in his second start since, um, he pitched the Giants one on Saturday, the 23rd against the Marlins seven to two, he didn't look, and this was, that was against Jose Fernandez. And Jake Peavy didn't look anywhere near as effective uh, on on Friday night against the Mets as he did um, as he did against the Marlins. Uh, not even like complete like night and day. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I kind of noticed during the Marlins game is that that's really the best we can expect from Jake Peavy, which is you know, which is a good start. It's two runs and I think it was seven innings against a not very good hitting team. But that was everything basically breaking right for him. That was him doing the absolute best job you could expect him to do. So that's the ceiling. There is a lot of room under that for the floor. And I think we found the floor. I think we found the basement. I think we went into the basement and then started jackhammering so he could get a little bit lower. I, I It was very bad. Uh, and like, 
like uh, Grant said in his recap, that you know the hitters are not. If it's low, they're letting it go. They're not fooled by any of the breaking balls, and they're really just waiting for him to make a mistake right in the middle of the plate, which he does with alarming regularity. <laughs> Those, <laughs> the fastballs and the sliders find their way right in the middle of the plate, right in every hitter's wheelhouse. And yeah, like you said with the Marlins, a lot of the sliders he was able to get them, they were chasing way out of the strike zone. So it's a lot easier when you're bad just to not even throw a ball near the zone. And he was lucky that they were chasing to some degree. But against the Mets, who, yes, the Mets, no Mets fan will believe this. Mets fans are all me. The Mets actually have a good lineup. <laughs> uh, and they're they're patient and able able to uh, make a pitcher work. And they certainly, you know, making Jake Peavy throw more pitches is, is a recipe for success if you're the offense. Because uh, he's, right. he's going to make at least four mistakes per plate appearance. So you just have to wait it out. Uh, so that was forgettable. And we'll... I guess I'm, I want to summarize it at the end after this one. The Matt Cain start was was forgettable, but not really. It didn't. It it was not a good start, uh, and it was against Jacob Degrom. So you know you really had no margin for error there. And Matt Cain is all error at this point. Um, <laughs> but again, he did show flashes. He still. It, it's kind of like what I was saying um, before with his other starts. He's still throwing ninety two. And his breaking balls still look, they have flashes of being good. These are not the signs of a pitcher who's done. Um, but there are things like when he leaves a fastball up in the zone, it doesn't have that late life as much anymore. He's not getting as many kind of flyouts as he was before. They're going over the fence, so they're getting crushed. Uh, so it, it, he could be back to some version of this and maybe improve a little bit off of it, but it has not been a promising return from spring training through to now. No, it hasn't. And I saw I saw an article from, I think, the Giants pod Twitter, uh, the Giants podcast. It's like a giant, another fan podcast. Not that we're just a fan podcast. We're fantastic. <laughs> um, but I saw an article about Matt Cain's struggles, and it was that um, as the game goes on, he leaves, he just makes keeps making more and more fat pitches. So, you know, at, for an average for the game would be 3% of his fastballs in the early going are, are very hittable, which, you know, that's fine. You'll make those mistakes. Guys won't, you know, guys won't jump on him as much. But then you get to, you know, you get to the fifth inning, you get to the sixth inning, it starts to be 10%, 15%, and that's kind of a disaster because then they're just going to see it coming. Then it's just going to be so easy for them. And that's really what you see with Kane. He's just, there are a lot of hittable pitches, Um Especially the longer you go into the game, though, in this case, he was leaving a lot of hittable pitches from pretty much the first inning. Oh, yeah. And he was walking people, and it was just not a good start. Right. In the previous starts, he's been almost unhittable for about three innings, and then it all falls apart. <laughs> and and this one out of the gate, he didn't look sharp from the beginning. Uh, so uh, rolling all that together, the, these two starts, you know, Bruce Bochy reiterated that he is not you know, these guys have a long leash, um, which is something you can afford to say right now, but let's reevaluate two weeks from now, right? Uh, these guys get a couple more starts like this under their belts. We'll see how the Giants are, you know, sing, singing that same song. I doubt it, but maybe. And actually knowing Bochi, um, who knows? I think the Dodgers struggle really has 
factored into that thought process. But uh, what do you think, Doug? What do you think? Uh, how many starts? How many more starts do you give Matt Cain and Jake Peavy, assuming that they're basically doing some variation of what they did this week, this past weekend? You know, Jake Peavy um, probably more like four or five innings, so not as bad. Let's say not as bad for Peavy. <laughs> um, well. I think actually the team is probably more worried about about Peavy than Kane, just because Kane still has the stuff. So it's more tempting to keep throwing him out there because you think he has to be able to find it at some point because he has the stuff to be the old Matt Kane. So I'm going to say they're going to give him three more starts for that. Jake Peavy does not have the stuff to be the old Jake Peavy. I don't know if he has the stuff to be 2014 Jake Peavy, much less Cy Young Jake Peavy. So I'm saying if one more bad start, and they're gonna they're gonna put him on the DL with something. I don't know what. Um, we we can guess. We can guess. Is it gonna be a shoulder? Is it gonna be a back problem? Is it gonna be a forearm thing? I'm you know I'm I'm gonna put my money on forearm tightness. That just seems about right. But uh, but yeah, I think one more bad start for Jake Peavy, and they're gonna make a change. I'm trying to remember um, if there's a game like in his last couple of starts or last three starts, if he came off the mound funny after throwing a slider or something and he sort of slipped because that's also the Giants MO is like, oh, remember that start four starts ago yeah. when he slipped? Exactly. Yeah, that, that messed up his back that whole time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would that's very wow. That's very pessimistic, very low estimate. I think Matt Cain gets at least eight more starts. And I think <laughs> I think Jake Peavy gets somewhere in in the vicinity of six. I think he gets five or six more starts for sure. Because uh, to me, it seems like the first thing they need to do is hold Jake Peavy back for a start. That seems like it would come before the phantom DL move. And I also think that because the minor league uh, players that they have you know, Chris Heston has 10 walks and 13 innings right now uh, in the minors. And, you know, he's got to probably build up his arm strength again a little bit. So he could be at least a couple weeks off. Um, that's two or three starts right there for PV, you know. Um, so I'm going to say that the veteran hold oniness that the Giants like to have, uh, like to do, that that's going to, I'm going to say eight and five, Kane eight, PV five. You're gonna say like um, three and three and two, three three and one. Three and I, one. I honestly right. think if PV has another bad start, then they're just gonna they're gonna figure something out. Well, I will say about Heston, if, if his next start is good, they'll just say he's figured it out and bring him up. And even though he might be terrible, like Eric Surkamp was for his one start in 2013, <laughs> um, that'll still be kind of their choice. You might be the only person who remembers Eric Surkamp's one start in 2013. I bet. Not even it Eric was Surkamp really bad. I'm surprised you don't remember it because that should be evidence that you use that the Giants are stupid. Well, the well, I don't think the Giants are stupid. I just think that their best intent, their best laid plans usually don't work out. But that's not true. That's just garbage. Uh, and I mean, we could get into a bigger idea of like, are the Giants living out sort of one of their worst case scenarios coming into the season? It, because we had talked about in one of our many other uh, Croncasts that. You know, the worst case scenario is, you know, Cueto doesn't work out. Samarja doesn't work out. Uh, PV doesn't pitch as well as he has. And Matt Cain doesn't come back. And we're seeing some version of that. And I feel like Cueto and Samarja working out is a little bit offset by the fact that the Giants have 
70 people in the bullpen and 69 of them are bad. Uh, so to me, that kind Wait, of... Wait, hold on. Who's a good one? Who's a good one? Okert? Oh, Osich, right? Uh, Osich. Osich? Well, I think it... Here's the thing. I think it changes every day. Because so, <laughs> okay. I think Osich is good. I, I think, you know, his kind of rougher appearances, you know, are unfortunate. But I, I think... I, I'm confident in Osich going forward. I'm actually confident in Derek Law going forward, even though yesterday he didn't look too hot against the Mets. Um, but I, I really like what he's got, um, his two pitches. I like his two pitches right now better than Sergio Romo's two pitches. Um, but yeah, I like Osich. Um, I don't know about Casilla. I think it's kind of hard to look at his track record and say he, he you can't trust him. So I guess by default, I would just kind of pick Casilla. Uh, even okay. though he has essentially lost two games for them this year, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> He's probably <laughs> the best that they've got right now. But yeah. I would say that the bullpen being so bad um, is is kind of undermining whatever good you're getting. Because Samarja is getting better with every start. Um, I think the fact that he's just getting more and more uh, control of all of his pitches um, and even better command overall, it, it, it's really encouraging. And I think Cueto is just – he's really good. He's solid. It's just – Yeah, no, right... Cueto's showing yeah. why he's been yeah. an ace for a yeah. bunch of years. Yeah, and, and yes, yeah. it's early in the season. All this can tilt the other way in a hurry. But, you know, it, we I guess we kind of thought that we would find out right away if those moves are going to work out, right? Uh, and it seems yeah. like they have at least in the early going. Yeah. Uh, but everything else, oh, oh boy. Uh, and <laughs> and Bumgarner pitched a great game yesterday. And, you know, credit to the Mets for making him work so much to get to the Giants' meaty, juicy bullpen. Uh, but three innings <laughs> from that bullpen was certainly kind of scary. Uh, and the and Mets certainly put, started to put together rallies. Um, and, and congrats to Javier Lopez for facing one left-handed hitter and actually retiring that hitter, which I don't think he had yeah, done that in was a while. Big. Yeah, that was good. I, I don't think he'd done that this year. So one other thing just about the Mets series, and then we'll, we'll look back and then we'll look forward. Um, one thing that I really liked about the last two games of the series, even in the loss to DeGrom, was that the Giants really put together good at-bats. Every single player. put They really made DeGrom work, and they really made uh, Syndergaard work. And both those guys, they work you. You don't work them. Uh, and the Giants were able to foul off a lot of tough pitches and lay off some really close pitches, uh, especially against DeGrom, especially on Saturday. And and I, I would say that when they're not in a hole, like when they're not immediately down five to nothing, they really are a different team. <laughs> like they're, they're <laughs> it, it's so, it, it, but it's just, it's sort of like the PD and Kane are so disastrously bad. For me, it traumatizes me for a while. Like I have to remember, oh, they're, they're actually kind of a good team in a lot of, in these pockets here and there. Um, but I, I so it, it was encouraging to see that, that, uh, that, that does hasn't, that that really is probably going to be something that sticks with them all year. And because we weren't able to do last week's show, I really want to pump up again that Matt Duffy seems to really be coming back. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's, yeah. he's been looking much better lately. Um, and it's that sort of the way you want to see from him. I don't want to say it's, it's the cause of it, but at least the effect of his being better is that you see a lot of those opposite field hits and you see much better defense. And so it's really actually pretty easy to tell when Matt Duffy's right 
versus when he's wrong because those are the things that are just night and day. Right. When you know he's going well because when he dives for a line drive at third base, he catches it. When he's going bad, <laughs> when he's going bad, he dives for it and somehow the ball ends up on the ground just beneath his glove. He knocked it down, but he wasn't able to get it. That's the difference right there. So, uh, and I hope Buster Posey starts to get it going, but age is a hell of a thing. It's not like he's tremendously old, but he's a catcher. And if you look at his last two Aprils offensively, they're still really good, <laughs> uh, but they're they're much slower going um, versus the previous previous years. Uh, I I went on a little bit of a tweet rampage on Saturday with all this stuff, but um, you know Posey had a home run yesterday, and and they're going into Cincinnati against um, you know a bad team, and so you'd like to think that that he starts to get rolling and Pence's bat starting to come alive. Um, so a lot of encouraging things. Uh, I would say that beating the Padres, a team they really did have to beat and sweep, uh, was certainly an encouraging sign. And so you kind of hope that going in to face Cincinnati and then having Colorado for four, I feel like that is that is a much better measure. The Giants might start to be able to get the ground underneath them, underneath their feet a little bit more. But, but to me... These PV Kane starts really just knock your equilibrium. They really do. They're really bad. They're like un- it's a different team. Yeah, they're they're. Um, we should talk about the wins though, because the Giants did yeah. win four games. They win. Four we haven't games. talked about. Those. We haven't talked about a single one of them. Uh, the the bump Gardner start I touched on a little bit, but uh, is there anything that you wanted to pick out from the Padres series uh, right off the bat? Um, well, I think the. The thing that stands out is that, you know, Samarja, the, the Samarja game where the ball was flying all, all over the park, Samarja didn't have a great start. You know, he had flashes of being great, and then he was hittable for a little while. Um, but the offense really picked him up. They got to Kashner. They got to uh, Michael Kirkman, who was the next reliever. And, yes, of course, I had to look that up. That's okay. uh, they got to Luis Perdomo. And they really kind of just set they set the tone. I, you know, I started to say that phrase and I was like, oh, cliche. And then I just, Mm. I had to go with it because that's the way to say it. They sort of said, we're going to dominate this game. The Padres made a couple little mini comebacks and the Giants just came right back at them. And and it was, it was fun to watch the offense work. Um, You kind of wish that Samarja had done, had gotten a little bit deeper into the game, given up a little bit, you know, hadn't, hadn't given up quite so many runs, but at the same time, he's going to have bad starts, and it's good to see the offense pick him up, at least for this one. Still had seven strikeouts, um, and it turns out Matt Kemp is still good. So I think <laughs> that was sort of the key in that game, <laughs> uh, that Matt Kemp uh, has a little bit going on there. But, um, yeah, I think that's an important game um, that they can work through sort of those things. But that was a game where they, they jumped out, like you said, they set the tone early, but they got out to a 3 nothing lead. And then that four-run third inning could have gone probably even a little bit worse than it did. And I think that's the key is even in the uh, Bumgarner start yesterday, you know, Bumgarner could have let an inning get away from him and put the Giants in the hole. But it's just when you when you have the back end of the rotation that when they get into trouble, that's it. It's They're not fixing it. Uh, it's, it's nice when a pitcher can either work himself out of a jam without – letting anything happen, or in the case of Samarja, a four spot is a big deal. But now you're, you're still only down a run in that case, in this case. You know, he was able to finally get out of it. Um, I think that's a, and it's an important thing that 
these things if they snowball you can stop it and then he comes back and he he starts to look sharp again and then and that's what's encouraging to a team you, you talk about setting the tone for the offense but i also think that you might be able to lose a little confidence but gain it back in a game pitcher to pitcher or batter to batter and uh, i think samarja kind of recovering from that four spot and doing so well you know the offense was probably going to do well in that game just based on who was pitching for the padres but it helped that the pitching calm down long enough for them to, to really get it rolling. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah. that was a fun one. The first game of the week was, uh, it was also a Bumgarner game, like the, like the last game of the week, Bumgarner versus Pomeranz. Yep. And the Giants won 5-4. There was a little bit of shaky bullpen work mm-hmm. from Hunter Strickland. Yep. Which is a theme. Yep. <laughs> and... The, in the uh, podcast, and yeah. the podcast we recorded last week that didn't come out was basically talking <laughs> about how Hunter Strickland is probably not the best option out of the pen right now. But he <laughs> he only he only verified that that thesis a little bit more this week. Um, <laughs> he has not looked, um, he's not looked good. <laughs> not looked good. But the bright spot was Santiago Garcia came on for a four out save and looked fantastic. So that was the good news. Uh, his 100th I made career some, save. His 100th career save. And uh, I made some snarky comments when he came in on Twitter. And I felt so bad about it after that save that I wrote a whole article about how he's incredibly underappreciated. Which you can find on McCoveyChronicles.com where there's fine content every day of the week. <laughs> every day. Every day. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... So Casilla, I guess we could talk about a little bit. It's sort of what I said before. He's sort of by default the best option out of the bullpen. And watching him all these years, I mean, really, you look at it and you go, really? Him? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not that he's bad. It's just his – it's just you're kind of – there's in a way you kind of look back. It's a, it's a little bit like Brandon Belt, a little bit. I mean, you can definitely see there are times where – Casilla looks just fantastic and dominant, but it's sort of one of those things where you your eyes trick you a little bit, and so you have to look back at the numbers and you go, "Wait, he's had a sub two ERA, or he's had you know he's done this, you know he's limited, you know his uh, his FIP is filled the independent stats or this or whatever. He's been this great for the Giants for this long, uh, and his his track record is fantastic, and it's just not something that you attach to the name when you hear it." But maybe that's what we should have been doing this whole time. Maybe we fell down as writers, Doug. <laughs> no, that's, I think it was on us. Absolutely. Uh, because even the beat writers, you know, they they touch upon it. And they never – the beat writers are always up on every guy. Like, to them, Hunter Strickland's still amazing. But, uh, you know, Casilla, <laughs> they always mention a positive thing about him. But really, this is sort of like, no, we should be talking about him more. And who knows, This now we could all be focusing. This is how I think, Doug. We could be thinking about, we could do that this year, but this is the year it all falls apart. <laughs> right. but, but, maybe the, but maybe the thing is, is like, for me, I, I always am waiting for someone, for the wheels to fall off that I don't acknowledge when something great is happening. Um, <laughs> and and that's, that's a tricky thing. I think that's a problem with a lot of bloggers or people online is you expect things to go a certain way all baseball players the wheels fall off eventually so it's sort of silly to sit there and just wait for that to happen um and i do it all the time so i'm extremely silly 
but I mean, how long, <laughs> for example, how long were we waiting for Sergio Romo to develop an arm problem? An elbow problem. I mean, like literally five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, instead of just enjoying how great he is. But, you know, Casilla being the best option as a closer and, and as the closer, I mean, that, that's something we should be fine with. Uh, absolutely, totally fine with. Yeah, I think I think most most people are. Well, I think there are people who are many of whom are in the Giants organization. I think fans are not a lot of fans are not necessarily OK with that because, you know, he doesn't have the 98 mile an hour fastball and he makes you feel kind of shaky when he's in there. But, you know, we all remember Brian Wilson's time as closer fondly, if not uh, his time as a human being. <laughs> and but he did that all the time and he just got out of it. And Santiago Casilla has been getting out of it, and he kind of deserves a lot of a lot more benefit of the doubt than he gets. Uh, I don't have the numbers to look this up, but it seems to me the major difference between Casilla and say Brian Wilson or Rob Nen is sort of he gives up more fly balls, and I think that sort of makes it scarier when he comes up because now there's less of a chance of a double play, even though he gets double plays fairly regularly. But it just <laughs> seems like on average. He's less strikeout ground ball, and he does give up more fly balls, which whatever. But that could be completely eye test, gut, whatever. Um, I guess we should talk about the really cool one nothing game because those are always cool yeah. games. <laughs> uh, those I are like, cool games. Yeah. Giants win them. They are when they when the Giants <laughs> win them. But I would say that just in general, a one nothing game in in baseball is really cool. It's it's yeah. If you're the team that loses, then yes, you're gonna be. You're going to go crazy. And, I, and like in 2009 and 2010, I think the Giants, between those two seasons, probably lost like 41 nothing games. That's probably an exaggeration, <laughs> but it certainly felt like it. Um, the 2-1 to one games feel more agonizing because <laughs> then you're like, you couldn't score three runs? <laughs> but one to nothing sort of implies that both teams, for both teams it was a struggle. And, uh, and James Shields wasn't exactly, you know, blowing the Giants away, four walks, three hits in seven innings. He only struck out two. Johnny Cueto, though, seven hits, one walk, but 11 strikeouts, and he threw a complete game. Uh, it was his first complete game shutout with the Giants, obviously, and I'm blanking on the number it is for his career, but I'm going to uh, look it up right now while you now talk, Doug. It was a seventh overall <laughs> shutout. It was a seventh, it was a seventh <laughs> shutout uh, and, and, uh, of his career. His thirteenth complete game, so it was it was uh, exactly, it is it's basically pretty much a perfect Johnny Cueto game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't, you know, it sounds kind of stupid to say after you're talking about a shutout, but what more could you ask for from a pitcher than to be that guy? You know, the Giants went out and paid him probably for two years, possibly for six, um, to be an ace. And what they got, what they have gotten at least for April, was an ace. And that's fantastic. And that uh, that that game against the Padres is sort of the the real capper to it, where you look at that and you go, yeah, that's it. That's the guy. That's what we want. That's what he should be. And that's that's what he has been. That's what we think he. That's what we hope at least he'll continue to be for the Giants. And it was a great sign because he was fun. You know, he had his eighty different windups. He had forty different pitches. I think I'm underestimating on both of those. <laughs> he made the Padres look like a bunch of San Diego Padre hitters. It was just impressive. And I want to 
jump out ahead of the whole, it, oh, it's the Padres. Good. That's good to know <laughs> that he can make bad teams look bad. That's sort of the point. And uh, one thing that, that Buster Posey said after this start was what really, because that was a game afterwards, Buster Posey had, had a sort of effusive praise for, for Cueto and how he looked and how everything was going. But Posey also said that what clicked between the two of them and where Buster really sort of started to admire Cueto was that Dodgers game where Cueto gave up six runs early and then just settled down and, and shut it down. Now you say settle down, but the Giants offense was clicking and it got him into the game. But it was it essentially what could have been a blowout where a pitcher buckled down and then pitched very well the rest of the way. And that get, gets back to what I was saying in terms of that Samarja start, and then you compare that to the back of the rotation. When things go bad, what happens? And, you know, Cueto was able to sort of get it under control. Let's talk about Cueto's numbers real quick. He's pitched 37 in the third innings, Doug, and he struck out 33 and walked five. He, <laughs> he has a whip of 104, that's 34 hits and five walks. He's basically pitching as well as he pitched in Cincinnati, which was a bad team last year before they traded him. Uh, and so to me, that's, yes, that is that is the Johnny Cueto I expected the Giants were getting. I took the Royals thing as like, okay, it's a new league, a new environment. He had good starts, then he had a string of really bad starts, obviously. But then he basically tightened up and... And to me, it seemed like I, I would never, I never flinched with it that he was going, it never occurred to me that he was just going to be that streak of bad because he was good in the postseason for them for the most part. And he was good with Cincinnati as early as half of last season. So this is some degree of what I expected. And it's great to see. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And because um, I looked at it in the off season about what had happened to him and it just, it really did seem like, he was very slightly worse with the Royals, but it was mostly bad luck. Like it was mostly just a lot of base runner. The the bullpen let a lot of base runners score after he let the game or, you know, a lot of balls found holes when normally they wouldn't or things like that. And just a lot of little stuff that added up to him being worse than, than he had been. Um, so, you know, I wrote an article about that, and then I felt really nervous that he was going to be awful and make me look stupid <laughs> because uh, baseball is all about me, of course. Yeah. That's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's great to see him pitching well and sort of affirming that, yeah, that he didn't pitch well with the Royals last year, but that was kind of a fluke. So way to set up early behind the plate, Buster Posey. <laughs> Sal Perez was not doing him any favors. That's true. Uh, so would you take him as your player of the week? Yeah, I absolutely would. All right, Johnny Cueto. Um, I'm going to carry him over because I named him last week and I and no one heard it. <laughs> I'm going to say Matt Duffy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Matt Duffy again, even though I think his week overall was not as impressive as everybody else. But it's good to see that he's maintaining the adjustments he's made. Um, and he looked, he just looks better overall. Uh, and it's just, it's a relief to see more more than anything else. Um, that let's see this past week. Um, yeah, he, he had a three sixty five on base percentage. He's doing great. So, uh, and he had a triple, uh, so I'm gonna stick with Matt, Matt Duffy. Who's your worst player? All right. <laughs> or do you have an honorable mention? 
We don't do worst players. You have uh, an honorable mention. Yeah, we we don't do worst players. Yeah. That's me. We do we do worst games um, and best games. <laughs> yeah, uh, honorable mention. I'm going to give to Madison Bumgarner, who had two very good games. I mean, his game against the Padres, even he came out of it saying, "I wasn't that good," but it was still a really good game. It, um, and then looking, he was. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and then he's really good against the Mets. He's looking much better. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll co-sign that. Um, I'm just going to say the worst game of the week. Um, was clearly the Friday night game. I don't think there's any the thirteen to one loss to the Mets. I don't think there's any other com- competitor. So uh, the only other competitor is really not that much of a competition. The Giants lost that one six to five. So uh, that was the worst game of the week. Uh, what would you say was the best game of the week? Uh, one nothing. Yeah, one it has to be. So it's a pretty straightforward week. Uh, how about our Twitter questions? Are they as straightforward? They are. Okay. Um, <laughs> the first question is from Rob Hainer at Robert Hainer. Which Giants players do you think wear socks with sandals? Oh. <laughs> Matt Duffy, Trevor, <laughs> Trevor Brown, um, uh, one of the bullpen guys, at, at least one of the bullpen guys, Derek Law. I'm going to say Derek Law. Uh- Oh, that's a good call. I was going to say Garen, but you know what? I don't think Garen wears sandals. Oh, I think if he does, it's definitely like Birkenstocks and his toes are gnarly. Yeah. Uh, I think we see him too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, All right. Okay. (laughs) And then our other question, what was the first song Jake Peavy played on his guitar after Friday's game? So I... I need a little setup for that. Is there context? Does he play songs after losses, or does he? Well, well, no, you know, because he plays he plays his guitar a lot. So after he has a very bad day at the office, what do you think his song is going to be that he's going to go with? <laughs> oh man, do do you need a minute? Because I can give my answer. Give your yeah, give your answer. Because I think you know he's feeling really low. I think he's looking for for a way out. He's looking for someone to help him. So I think the song, and you know, I think really baseball players never grow up. So if you think of him as like a high school or college kid playing a guitar after a bad day when he needs somebody to help him, I think the answer is Wonderwall. Wonderwall? That's that's really good. I was going to say Black Hole Sun. But uh, I think that's better. I think Wonderwall is much better. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> that, there we go. That's our show for the week. Um, we are, we'll, we'll be back next week. But uh, in the meantime, leave your comments below. Uh, any questions that you want us to answer in the next uh, Croncast, we're happy to do it. Uh, if you have any suggestions for any games that you want us to play, because uh, those are usually fun, um, and they really expose some dark stuff between us i feel i don't know maybe not i don't know uh but let us know um so oh this week mets or sorry the reds and the and the rockies um the Rockies series it's a four game series those are always hell <laughs> so i gotta say uh doug i am i am not looking forward to that rocky series because those tend to be p- very painful in a lot of ways when the rockies come to san francisco I don't think that's usually true. I think they had one painful series in 2014, and it's horrifically scarred you. 
It was a really bad series. It did leave. It, it did was set a up, really bad. Series. It did set up one of the greatest front pages of McCovey Chronicles history, though, because um, because Grant wrote the Friday recap and I wrote the Sunday recap, or I wrote the Saturday recap and he wrote the Sunday recap, and we just kept the same. He just we kept the same setup. <laughs> it was it was Giants ruin your Friday night. Giants ruin your Saturday night. <laughs> Giants ruin your Sunday. Uh, <laughs> And those are all three come from behind uh, against the Rockies, so I don't know. Uh, all right, well, do you have any? Uh, where can we find you on on Twitter, Doug? If no one knows by now. Well, Brian, on Twitter, I am at Moonwalk McFly. I am what at everything. Yes, um, and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. All right, bye. <laughs>